0: Ephesians 5, 33, let's read. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, Lord, thank you for your presence as we've worshiped you. Thank you for your people that love you and love your house and are part of this service today. Now I ask that you will open our hearts, that we will be able to hear not so much what the preacher is going to say, but we will be able to hear what the spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. Speak to us today, Lord. Let something happen in this service that will be challenging, inspiring, and above all transformative for our lives. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. And particularly, I pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith and ask that you will draw them back to you, Lord, so that not one of them will be lost. I thank you for that. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. people who study human behavior all agree there are certain basic life needs that are common to every person. No matter the age, the gender, the social station, or the educational background, we all have certain ne- core needs in common. The particulars of how those needs get expressed and how those needs uh, get met may be different, but there are certain needs that are common in every person's life. Perhaps the most familiar study about this was done by a man named Abraham Maslow who wrote a paper in 1943 titled, A Theory of Human Motivation. In this paper, he set forth what he called a hierarchy of five motivational needs and he illustrated this as hierarchical levels within a pyramid. premise was that there are certain needs that are basic, and those basic needs must be met before one progresses to then try and meet the higher needs. He described those needs like this. It's on the screen, so you can kind of see a a picture of that. One, at the bottom, there are biological and physiological needs. You know, we all need air. (laughs) I thought, you know, that's... That is pretty basic, I get that. Food, drink, shelter, warmth, sex, and sleep. He said those are at the very base level. Then there are safety needs, protection from elements, security, order, law, limits, stability, freedom from fear. Then there are social needs. Sense of belonging, affection, and love from a work group or family or friends and romantic relationships. Fourth, he said, then as we move higher up, there are esteem needs, achievement, mastery, independence, status, dominance, prestige, self respect, respect from others. And finally, he said, there are self actualization needs, realizing personal potential, self fulfillment, seeking personal growth and peak experience. Now, while his theory of a hierarchy of needs has often been discounted by others, yet the premise that there are certain basic needs that motivate us all remains intact. There are certain needs, certain drives, certain instincts that are built into the system of every person on the planet. What is true for us as individuals is also true for us in relationships, and especially in the relationship between a husband and a wife. Every wife has one most important need from the relationship. Every husband has one most important need from the relationship. Without this one most important need being met, the relationship cannot survive. But when you get this one most important thing right, then you're well on your way to a happy, fulfilling, satisfying, lasting relationship. (laughs) Well, as you might suspect, the most important need of the wife and the most important need of the husband aren't the same thing. You don't have to have graduated at the top of your class to recognize there is a difference between women and men, even though modern society can't seem to quite figure this out. <clears throat> I'm just gonna leave that right there be- for another sermon at another time. What the wife most needs and what the husband most needs while complementary isn't the same thing and doesn't express itself the same way. What researchers and behaviorists and psychologists and counselors are telling us is something that's been in the Bible all along. You know, they finally catch up after a while. The most important thing a wife needs in a marriage relationship and the most important thing a husband needs in a marriage relationship is stated in the words of our text that we just read a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Here the Apostle Paul has just been writing about how husbands and wives should treat one another. He's been writing about how the marriage relationship is a picture of a spiritual truth. And then he finishes the exhortation with these words, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to have his own wife even, it is to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So here we find what the wife most needs in a marriage relationship is love, What the husband most needs in a marriage relationship is respect. Notice I didn't say the only thing needed. But if these two ingredients are missing, even if you have everything else, the relationship is going to be in serious trouble. On the other hand, if these two ingredients are present, there can be lack in a lot of other areas And the relationship can still be meaningful and sustainable. The wife is wired in such a way that the most important thing to her in a relationship is to be loved. It's been my observation and experience that it isn't just important for the husband to love his wife, but he has to love her in such a manner that she knows she is loved and she feels like she is being loved. And the way that love is expressed has to be in such a way that it communicates clearly to the wife that she is loved by her husband. And therein lies the difficulty. Because what, I, what says I love you to a husband and what says I love you to a wife are very often two different things. There is no one-size-fits-all universal language that communicates I love you to a wife because every wife is different. One woman hears I love you when her man unexpectedly sends her flowers and a sentimental card and chocolate. The next woman hears I love you when her man surprises her with a romantic getaway where he has planned all the details of the travel and the activities and it's an opportunity for just the two of them to be alone. Another woman hears I love you when her man takes a leisurely walk with her or sits down over a cup of coffee and just listens to how her day went. Then there's another woman who hears I love you when her man fixes the screen door that's been broken for a couple of months. Or when he takes the kids to the park so she can have an afternoon of peace and quiet. Or when he makes sure her car has gas in it or that the oil is changed or the tires are rotated and everything is in good working order. Well, praise God, I've got somebody that's, I'm speaking somebody's language right now. I don't know, but God bless you. One woman hears I love you when her man writes her a beautiful love poem. Another hears I love you when he just puts down the phone or mutes the game on the television when she comes into the room to tell him something. Ladies, let me help you with something right here. There are very few men who innately know how to communicate I love you in a manner that is clear to you. I thought, I thought I'd get better response from the men, but okay, yeah. <laughs> we, see, we think we're saying I love you, but very few of us instinctively know how to say it in a way that you will understand that's what we're trying to say, okay? On the other hand, the most important thing a husband needs in a relationship is respect. Oh, We've heard the jokes that tells all about a man thinks is uh, that tells us all a man thinks about is food and sex. And the jokes are out there because there is a certain amount of truth there. Come on, guys, give me, help me out here. Come on, you bunch of pious. Sanctimonious. <laughs> Y'all mess with me and I'll preach right here. I'm gonna... as important as those things are, the one thing the man craves, the one thing that is absolutely indispensable for him in a meaningful relationship, is respect. Now, understand, this doesn't mean he needs a wife to compose songs of admiration and sing them to him at sunrise and sunset. But he needs to know his opinion is important. He needs to know his judgment is valued. He needs to know his hard work is appreciated. He needs to know his position is validated. And this can sometimes be tricky to navigate. Because a lot of times when a wife asks for information or clarification, the husband is wired in such a way that he hears the question as a challenge and he becomes defensive. See if this sounds familiar to anybody besides me. The husband is working on a project. Maybe it's even a project around the house requested by his wife. The wife comes out, sees the work in progress and ask a question about why the husband is doing a particular thing a particular way. Uh, Somebody already knows where this is going. She doesn't mean anything negative by it. She's just curious and wanting information. The husband, on the other hand is hot and tired and a little frustrated because it's proving to be more difficult and complicated than he imagined it would be. So when she asks the question, he doesn't hear it as a question. He hears it as a challenge. He hears it as questioning his judgment or his ability. He hears it as being disrespectful and ungrateful because after all, bless God, he's doing this project for her. And immediately he bristles and becomes defensive. Oh, he answers the question, but his tone is sharp, which the wife hears as unloving, so she's hurt and offended. She then responds out of hurt and offense with something that is now barbed and directly disrespectful, which then results in the husband saying something unkind and hurtful, more unloving than before. Back and forth they go, you always do this, you never do that. Accusations are flying. Now they're on this wheel that is spinning out of control. Both of them are hurt, both of them are angry, both of them are reacting. The longer they talk, the louder they get. Both of them are saying things they're going to regret later, but they just can't seem to stop. And when they finally run out of steam, they just glare at each other and get strangely quiet. And for the next couple of days, there is a decided chill in the air around the homestead. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Some of you are shaking your heads. You know it's wrong to lie in church. Wrong to lie anywhere, but especially in church. The wife needs love. The husband needs respect. I don't know where husbands ever got the idea we could get more respect from our wife if we would speak to her in a harsh tone and treat her in an unloving manner. I don't know where wives ever got the idea they could get more love from their husband if they would mock them and treat them in a disrespectful manner. When the husband speaks in an unloving manner to his wife the natural tendency is for her to speak or act disrespectfully toward her husband. When the wife speaks in a disrespectful manner to her husband, the natural tendency is for him to speak or act in an unloving manner toward his wife. But that kind of natural reaction never does anything to help the problem. So what I want to do before we get out of here today is give you four things that will help you get off this crazy go-round and into a place of healthy, meaningful relationship. Everybody doing okay so far? All right. One thing I want you to remember as I'm preaching these points, most of what I've preached already in this series that I'm doing and what I'm preaching today is something I've learned from the school of hard knocks. (laughs) Pretty much every place where you hear me say something and you think, well, that's dumb, that's probably something I've done or am still doing and trying to overcome. So I confess to you it's a lot easier to preach this than it is to practice. That's my disclaimer. So I approach this as a fellow traveler, a fellow learner, discovering what it is the Lord would have me do so that the relationship I have and especially the relationship I have with my wife is pleasing, first of all, to him and is also meaningful and fulfilling with my wife. So with that in mind, let me give you four principles to practice. Principle number one. Communicate clearly. I've already told you in a previous message in this series how a man and a woman can say the exact same words and mean two completely different things. For example, if two women are talking about excess oil, they're talking about skin care. They're discussing cleansers and moisturizers and makeup. (laughs) However, if two guys are talking about excess oil, they're talking about engines and machinery. Or a spill on the floor of the garage. Not only do we say the same thing and mean something completely different, but we also process information differently. We make different assumptions and we reach different conclusions when given the same input. See, if you're at a cookout and you ask a guy friend standing at the grill, where did you get those hamburgers? He'll tell you the meat market and its location and maybe the name of the butcher. If you sit down to a meal at home with your wife and ask her, where did you get these hamburgers, she'll probably get a panicked look on her face and say, why, what's wrong with them? <laughs> Neither of those answers or reactions is wrong. They're just different. And that means we have to make an extra effort to communicate in such a manner that the meaning is clear. Husbands, If you come home from work and your wife asks you, honey, would you like to go out to dinner this evening? It's important for you to know whether she's asking your opinion and your preference or whether she's trying to tell you something. If you're tired and you're stressed from the deadline that's looming over your head and all you want to do is put your brain in neutral for a little while before having to go back and face the grind and you don't even look up and answer the question and say, not tonight, babe. That's great if she's just asking your preference however if she was trying to tell you with that question that she's had a rough day and hasn't had time to prepare anything and it would be nice just to get out and not have to deal with preparing and cooking and then cleaning the kitchen the kitchen and you brusquely say not tonight babe in her mind you aren't being loving and considerate of her and you've got the makings of the crazy-go-round beginning And the next sound you're going to hear is pots and pans clanging around the kitchen. She's upset that you don't care about her. You're upset that she is so inconsiderate as to suggest you go out after the kind of day you've had. And remember that food and sex thing I mentioned earlier? You can forget about that tonight. (laughs) Somewhere along the line, we're going to have to push aside our pride long enough to clearly communicate what we need and what it looks and sounds like when those needs are being met. We're going to have to take some responsibility for our own feelings. We're going to have to own up to the fact that no one can make us feel upset or offended. I need to say that again. No one can make us feel upset or offended. We get offended because we choose to be offended. We can just as quickly and just as easily choose not to be offended. And that brings me to the second principle. Believe the best. For some reason, when someone says something to us that catches us off guard, or somebody says something unpleasant, or someone says something we perceive as negative or offensive, there's something built into the system that automatically causes us to assume it was intentional. And when we make this assumption, it causes us to want to get paybacks. I read about a couple who were both so angry with each other, they hadn't spoken to one another all day or evening. Before going to bed, the husband wrote the wife a note and left it on her pillow. I have an important breakfast meeting. Since you get up at 5 o'clock, please wake me at 530 if I don't hear the alarm. At 7 o'clock the next morning, he finally woke up and was in disbelief. His wife had not awakened him. As he angrily rolled out of bed, he noticed her note on the nightstand. Wake up, it's 5.30. I've never known a man and a woman to say to each other, I hate you, so let's get married and live together for the rest of our lives. (laughs) Even though we blow it all the time, the truth for most couples is they deep down really care for and really love one another. And there's no denying that we hurt one another, but it isn't by design. We don't lay awake at night plotting the next thing we can do to make our spouse miserable. Usually, we're confused and mystified about why we're having problems. We have the best of intentions, but sometimes we miss the signals. I may very well be talking to someone right now who just needs to make up your mind that your spouse has goodwill toward you. Your spouse doesn't mean to harm you. Your spouse may be neglectful, forgetful, or make careless, even thoughtless remarks And as a result, you may be hurt or even angry, but you need to keep reminding yourself, my spouse has goodwill toward me. Husbands and wives need to establish that early on in their relationship. I'm resigned to the fact that I'm going to hurt you at times, but it will never be intentional. When I hurt you, I'm sorry. I will feel terrible about it. I will feel like I failed you, I failed myself. And I failed the Lord, but I will never intentionally bring you harm. I may be insensitive. I may be forgetful. I may be neglectful. I may be careless. I may be selfish, but I will never wish anything but the best for you. I will never be intentionally hurtful to you. That brings me to the third principle. Communicate clearly. Believe the best. Principle number three, (coughs) serve selflessly the commands to love and respect are not conditional they don't have escape clauses the text does not say husbands love your wives as long as she respects you it doesn't say wives respect your husbands as long your husband as long as he is loving toward you this isn't a means of manipulation it's not i'll love her so i'll be sure and get some respect around her It's not, I'll respect him, so I'll be sure and get some love from him. Whoever said marriage is a 50-50 proposition didn't know what he was talking about. Marriage is not 50-50, it's 100-100. Each gives 100% to the other. Marriage gives us the opportunity to demonstrate what it means to live the crucified life. It gives us the opportunity to learn how to lay down personal rights. It gives us the opportunity to abandon selfishness so that someone else may be lifted up. Even in those times when the wife seems to be lacking in respect, the kind of love the Lord calls for from the husband is the same kind of love Christ had for the church. It's sacrificial love. It's giving love. It's unconditional love. It's protecting, caring love that seeks the best for the wife who is being loved. And even in those times when the husband seems to be deficient in loving, the kind of respect the Lord calls for from the wife is the same kind of respect the church gives to Christ. It defers to him. It honors him. It refuses to speak ill of him. It emphasizes his positive qualities. It is grateful and thankful for him. When you serve your spouse, you aren't just serving him or her. You're serving the Lord. You're humbling yourself. It isn't just about pleasing your spouse. It isn't about what you're going to get out of the arrangement. It's about being obedient to the Lord. Listen to the instruction of the Lord from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. He goes on in verses 7 through 9 and says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayer will not be hindered. He says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Communicate clearly. Believe the best. Serve selflessly. Principle number four, forgive freely. It would be a tremendous help to all our relationships if we would learn and practice two things. One, Become more careful and sensitive toward our spouse. Two, don't be so touchy, so quick to take offense. Here's what I've discovered. Rarely do relationships break up over one big thing. It's the little things piled on top of each other, never getting resolved, never being fully forgiven. And over time, they pile up one on top of the other until eventually the table breaks and the relationship is destroyed. The best way I know to keep that from happening is to forgive freely. And the best model I can give you for how to forgive is none other than the Lord Jesus. Now, if you haven't liked anything else I've said so far, if you're ready to walk out of here and say, boy, that was a waste of my time, this right here is going to be worth the price of admission, all right, what I'm about to give you. The Jesus model of forgiveness consists of three steps. First, Jesus sympathized with the offender. Think about it, here he is, suffering in horrible agony on the cross. And in the midst of that terrible suffering, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. When you sympathize, you try to look beyond the offense to other factors that help explain why your your spouse has behaved that way or has said that and, and it has offended you. And the better you understand your spouse and the better you understand yourself, the more easily you can forgive. Because we're followers of Jesus, because we have been freely forgiven by God, we can and should forgive one another. Because we need his forgiveness, we can understand someone else's need for forgiveness from us. As part of the setup for writing about husbands and wives, in in the marriage relationship, the Apostle Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Here it is, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Here's the part I wish he hadn't put in, but it's there, so we got to deal with it. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Anybody been forgiven by the Lord? To the same degree that you've been forgiven, forgive your spouse. When you didn't deserve it, when you didn't even want forgiveness, he extends it to you. Not only did Jesus sympathize with the offenders, but he surrendered the offense to his heavenly father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus looked ahead to his crucifixion, to the shameful treatment, the agonizing pain, and worst of all, the sin of all humanity being placed squarely on him. Facing the unimaginable, Jesus prayed in Luke 22 and 42, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And this idea of surrender is personalized to every one of us in 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 21 through 23. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. See, releasing the offense and the offender means we relinquish the right to retaliate. We relinquish the offense. We send, and when we do that, we we need to send that offense somewhere. So follow the example of Jesus and release that to your heavenly Father. You know how it is. We'd rather hang on to it. We would rather nurse it. We would rather dwell on it. We'd rather rather fantasize in our imagination. Boy, if I could just get this person alone in a dark alley, wouldn't even have to be that dark. I just don't want a lot of prying eyes and cameras. That's what we want to do with it. But if you want to be free, If you want to have a strong, healthy, meaningful relationship, let it go. Surrender it. Release it to the Heavenly Father. Not my will. Your will be done. Let God deal with it. He'll do a much better job. Jesus sympathized with his offenders. Jesus surrendered the offense to his Heavenly Father. And finally, Jesus secured the Father's help. When Jesus prayed, your will be done, he believed his father's will would be accomplished. He had hope and he trusted God to work. See, you can't feel vindictive and revengeful if you are trusting God's perfect care and righteous judgment. The extent you are willing to relinquish the situation is the extent you can secure God's intervention and help to forgive. The reason God can't help some of you is because you won't turn it loose. You won't let him act the way he knows he needs to. Because sometimes when God acts, to your mind, it looks like the person is being blessed and not punished. And you don't understand that God knows exactly what needs to happen in that person's life. So when you release it to him, you release it and quit trying to tell God how to deal with it. These steps I've just given you, they're not a formula so much as they are a path to building a better relationship and better communication with your spouse. If you've sympathized, you will talk to your mate with more understanding instead of always making your case about why and how you've been hurt. If you've surrendered your resentment, your spouse will detect a different tone and attitude in your words, and in all probability, will talk to you with a better attitude. What is it the wisdom writer said? Something about a soft answer turning away wrath? When your hope is in God, when you have secured His promise of help and you're looking to what God will do in this situation, you won't place unrealistic expectations on your spouse. I want to tell you, ultimately, He is the only one who can give us the help we need to have the kind of relationships that are satisfying to us and glorifying to Him. I've preached long enough. Stand. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they said, Pastor... I just want to tell you that your, your messages lately have been on target and they've been timely. And when he said timely, he said, I mean timely. <laughs> I got it. I got it. How about this? Just crash land this plane. You know, we're, we're done.